visiting today, we have been uh, working our way through this particular letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossa, and going through it kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and so we'll just pick up where we left off last Sunday. I'd like to read these verses for us. Paul writes, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word again, wanting to be fed by the truth that you have to share with us today. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit that you would help us to see again how your word uh, changes lives, how it instructs us in how to live, and how it is really food for our soul. And that by the scriptures and by listening and paying attention to what you have to say to us and putting that into practice in our life, we grow and we are changed to become more and more like your son. And I pray that you would do that work today. In Jesus' name, amen. When I come to the book of Colossians, I am reminded that the challenges that we face in our world are not new. And many of the challenges that we face are simply things that have been dealt with by uh, Christians and other generations as well. And I see that here in the book of Colossians. There were false teachers and skeptics who came to Colossae, and there are false teachers and skeptics in our world as well. There are those who want to uh, minimize Christ. You know, the false teachers in Colossae tried to minimize Christ and say that he wasn't that important or that he's not really God or that Jesus was just a man or that he was just one of many ways to the Father. And there are people who say those very same things about Jesus today. They want to minimize Christ in our world. They want to say that, well, he was a good man or a good moral teacher or the leader of a religious movement, but he's not God. And even when it comes to Christmas time, there are those who uh, love in sort of a nostalgic way to sing about the baby in the manger, and you'll see all kinds of celebrities and stars that'll sing about Jesus, you know, and they'll even sing about him as Lord. But do they really mean that? They like the baby but they don't like the one who is king and Lord and who makes demands on our lives. There's something about Jesus that causes that kind of divide until we truly come to know him. And at this time of year, there are others too who simply want to take Christ out of Christmas entirely. And they just want to make this sort of a winter holiday or a nice time with family. And they'll use generic greetings like season's greetings or the focus is on Santa and the gifts. But when we come together, our focus is to be on Jesus Christ, this one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords and who gave his life for our sins. And oh, how we need to hear that message. We live in a world in which people are struggling with many different things. You know, at this time of year, there are those who are stressed out by the busyness of the season. They're stressed out about trying to find that perfect gift or decorating or making everything look just great. But I know as a pastor at this time of year, we always see a rise in the number of counseling issues. The things that come up in families and homes and individual lives because things aren't perfect. People are financially strapped or there are those that are looking for jobs. 
There are those that are dealing with broken relationships and marriages or loss and grief and they feel that painfully at this time of year because a father or a husband or a wife or a daughter will not be present at Christmas this year. Oh, how we need this message. Oh, how we need a Savior and we need the hope that Jesus Christ can bring. And His birth is still good news for a world that needs to hear it. So this morning, we're going to come and we're going to look at these two verses in the book of Colossians. And in them, Paul gives us some very practical instructions on how to live for Christ in a world that really, at times, doesn't want to hear about Him. How do we live for Christ? How do we keep our focus on Jesus and grow and be that light in a dark world? Well, there are three things I want to point out from this text this morning. The first is this, that the Scripture calls us to stay faithful. Stay faithful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He writes in verse 6, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. So then, based on everything that Paul has said up to this point, based on who Jesus Christ is, based on what He has done in your life, if you have come to know Him as your Savior and Lord, now continue to live in Him. I think it's interesting here the wording that Paul uses as well. He talks about this time in our life when we receive Jesus Christ. You know, that's an expression that we use when we invite someone to place their faith in Christ. We say, you know, have you prayed to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord? And sometimes people question that, you know, and they'll say things like, well, where do we find that in the Bible? Well, here's one of those places where Paul called people to receive Christ. That there was a moment in our life when we heard the gospel clearly presented or we heard about who Jesus was and we saw our own sins and we saw our need for a Savior. And we asked Jesus to forgive us and to be our Savior and Lord. We received Christ. And Paul would say, how, how did that happen? How did you come to that point? How did you receive Christ? Well, it was by faith. It was by placing our trust, our confidence in Jesus and what He had done for us when He took upon Himself our sins and died on the cross for us. We came to believe that Jesus is the one who He claimed to be. And so Paul would say, then live by faith. Walk by faith. Continue to grow in your relationship with Him. How else did you receive Him? Well, we received Him as Christ Jesus, the Lord. In Christ, that word means Messiah. He is the anointed one, God's chosen one who would be sent. He's the one that the prophets wrote about in the Old Testament in all of their descriptions of this one who was to come, this son of David, this king whose throne would never end or whose reign would never end, this one who would be the prince of peace, that wonderful counselor, the mighty God. This one who would be called Jesus, our Savior. And we came to see Him as Jesus, as Savior, as one who was fully man, true man, who took upon Himself our flesh to experience the trials, the suffering, the things that we go through in our life. He understands because He became like us. But we also came to recognize Him as Lord. He is sovereign. He's the Creator. He's the King. 
He is fully God. And when you come to see Jesus in that way, it makes a difference then in how we live. I mean, Jesus' words aren't just sort of opinions out there. He's not just like any other teacher. He has authority. His words are true. His words are life. When those who followed him, some of the crowd came and Jesus began to make these difficult statements about what it means to follow Christ and to count the cost. You know, if anyone would come after me, he must be willing to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. And some people didn't like that. They didn't want that kind of a savior. They didn't want that kind of individual making a demand on their life. And so they chose to drift away. And he turned and he said to the disciples, would you also leave me? And they said, no. They said, you have the words of life. I mean, where else can we go? There's only one place to come to find these words of truth and life, the one who is the Savior. And so we came to receive Jesus as Christ, as Savior, as Lord. And Paul was saying to the Colossians that you have started well. Now don't let anyone deceive you or mislead you. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Don't drift away from that truth or that understanding that you have about Jesus Christ. And that's a good word of warning for all of us. It is an especially good word, though, for those who are young. Because we have seen in our world statistically how many times that kids who grow up in a church, when they begin to go off on their own in those years after high school, into college, or starting their career, that there's a period in there where many kind of drift away, can fall away from the church. And then sometimes when they have families of their own, they begin to come back, they bring their kids to church, but there's a period in there where you are vulnerable, if you will. And what are you going to do in that stage of life? It's a time when you are coming to sort through issues, you're understanding yourself, and you're making choices about your life. And you need to come to that point where you settle what you believe about Jesus Christ and make your faith your own. But you don't worship God or follow Him just because of your parents. You do it because you have come to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be. It's a step of faith and obedience. And it's a very, very important decision that we must make. There's a man named Robert Robinson who, as a young man, came to know Christ under the ministry of George Whitfield, And he wrote a very famous hymn that all of us probably know and recognize. It was the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. He had a gift, and when he came to know Christ, he was so rejoicing in that, he wrote this great hymn. But as Robinson went along in the years that followed, he too, like the prodigal son, began to journey into a distant country following the world and following his own flesh. And he moved away from Christ. And one day he was traveling and he met a woman and she was reading in a hymn book this hymn. And he was sitting next to her and she thought it was so beautiful and she asked him what he thought of it. And she read those words, prone to wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. What do you think that means? 
And he burst into tears and Robinson said, Ma'am, I am that poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings that I had then. Robinson had drifted away from Christ. And God brought a woman into his life who began to point him in that direction back to God. It can happen. It can happen to a young adult when you are leaving home for the first time. It can happen when you are going through trials and you begin to doubt because of the difficulties that are in your life. It can happen when you are facing life's greatest trial of death itself. Stay faithful. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to those things that you have been taught. Remember a statement that has been made that we should never doubt in the darkness what God has shown us in the light. Stay faithful and hold on to the truth. Secondly, we are to keep growing in our faith all through our life. And Paul uses four words here to describe what it means to live in Christ or to abide in Him. He uses, first of all, the words that we are to be rooted or firmly planted. It is like a tree. It's, it's a metaphor that Paul uses here to describe the Christian life, that we are to be firmly planted in Him like a tree. And it calls to mind Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, the Scripture says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. Here's the way to happiness. Here's the way to life. Here's the way to bearing fruit. Here's the way to finding real meaning and satisfaction in life. It's to turn away from the wicked and the counsel of those who reject God. And instead, it's to come to God and to delight in His Word and meditate on what He has said and the promises that He has given. And you will be like a tree firmly planted. You'll be like a tree that's by streams of water. And even in seasons of drought... Your leaf will not wither, and you will prosper in what you do. You know, that's a very vivid analogy that we can relate to. I mean, this past year uh, in the summer, we had a stretch where it was pretty dry around here. And what happens when we're going through a drought? You know, well, trees get stressed. Plants get stressed. And if a tree is not healthy, it may literally die during that time. Or if it's weakened in that kind of condition, it's very susceptible to getting disease and eventually that disease can kill the tree. If a tree is healthy, it can withstand even a season of drought for a time. It can stay and continue to grow. And the same is true for us as Christians. I mean, what happens to Christians when we go through trials? Well, we get stressed. And if our faith is not strong, we may fall as well. A healthy relationship with God helps us to withstand the trials that come in our life and to stay faithful and to stand firm. That's why it's so important that we continue to grow in Christ all through our life. We don't hit a point where we go, now I've arrived and I can kind of, you know, put this behind me. And No, 
That's why we encourage even as adults to continue in small groups or ABFs or to study and to be in the Word and to continue to grow. God's Word is like a rich mine. I mean, I have been studying it now for well over 30 years, teaching and preaching from the Word of God, and I still am amazed at the things that I find and see as I continue to grow in my relationship with Him. We are to be firmly grounded in Christ. And then also another word that Paul uses here are the words that we are to be built up. It is in the present tense. It means that we are to continually be growing in Christ. And this is the metaphor of a building. Now think about it. You know, when we build a house or we build a church or we build a school or something like that, I mean, we want it to last. We're not building a a house or a church or something like that and then thinking, well, in five years we're going to have to do this all over again. We'd like that building to last for at least 50, maybe even 100 years. And so how do you do that? Well, you have to choose to use good materials, don't you? Materials that are going to last. And you make wise choices because this is a significant investment. And if we are going to be growing in our relationship with Christ and we are going to be strong and built up and last, then we need to build wisely. We need to be careful what we listen to or our diet. We need to choose to feed our souls on the Word of God. We need to meet together to encourage one another in our faith and we need to put into practice the things that we are taught. I think that's why we need to exercise discernment too because there's a lot of books that are written. There's a lot of people that may be on a radio or a television and claim to be preaching the Word or teaching that. Are they? Are they grounded in the truth? And can you tell the difference? And have you come to that point where you can exercise discernment because you are so familiar with what the Scripture says that you can discern between truth and error? That's an important part of growing as a Christian if we are to be firm in our faith. I think of one dad, too, who was talking to a professor at a Christian university. And he was kind of kidding him about the cost of education. And he was saying, and this isn't me, uh, by the way, that's doing this. But no, I I do have sons at Christian institutions. But, um, you know, he was kidding this man about how much it costs to go to college these days. And the professor kind of replied back to him with a smile. And he said, well, you know, it all depends upon what you want to get. You know, when God builds an oak tree, he takes 70 years to do that. And when he makes a squash, he takes about 60 days. Now, which would you like your son to be? There, there's an investment that we are making here, and we want to build wisely if we are going to be strong in our relationship with him. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for believers who will stand like an oak, and that takes a lifetime of continual growth. The third word he uses here are the words that we are to be strengthened in our faith just as we were taught strengthened in our faith that means that we are to be continually nourished on the word of God we are to be continually empowered by the Holy Spirit we can't do this in our strength it takes God working through us by his Holy Spirit it is Christ in us again who is the hope of glory He's the one who changes our lives and our thoughts. He's the one who helps us to do what we cannot do in our flesh. And we are to be holding on to the faith again just as we were 
taught. What Paul is referring to here is something that came out of the Jewish tradition. You know, they regarded teaching or the faith as something that was passed on from one generation to another, just like handing off a baton. It's like, here's the gospel. I want you to take it. Here's the word of God. I want you to take it. I don't want you to change it. I don't want you to dilute it. I don't want you to try and alter it in any way. I want you to take this. And I want you to take the faith that was handed to me. And I want you to pass that on to the next generation. As clearly, as powerfully, as accurately as you can do it. That's what God is asking of us. On Friday night, uh, our son Jason... Uh, graduated from Trinity and he got his Master of Divinity degree. He's continuing on in his studies and he's going for his uh, PhD, his doctorate in Old Testament. But it's a very significant milestone that he has come to in his life. Uh, In my office, I have my diploma on the wall from Trinity. And there in the corner of that diploma is a seal. It's a seal from the school and On that seal, what it says there in Greek is that we have been entrusted with the gospel. And it's taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And it's these words that are before you. That we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. That is the commission and the privilege that we have been given as those who are called to vocational ministry. That we are to preach that word of God, not trying to please men, but pleasing God who tests our hearts. Because in the final day, that's the account that's really going to matter. Were you faithful to the Word of God? Were you faithful to your calling? Were you faithful to what I asked you to do? That's what Jesus asked of Peter. You know, He said, if you love me, then I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my sheep. I want you to care for them and instruct them in the way that they should go so that they might come to know me. And that is a great responsibility. That's why the Scripture says, let not many of you desire to become teachers knowing as such you will incur a stricter judgment. It's a high calling. Paul writes to Timothy as a pastor in 2 Timothy 1, verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now there is a sense in which that truth again applies to all of us. We have received the gospel. We have been given this great heritage, this tradition, this body of faith. And we have come to believe that Jesus is our Savior. Now tell your children and tell your grandchildren and tell your neighbors and tell your friends that they might come to know Christ. Don't hold on to this treasure and keep it simply for yourself because it is a treasure that is meant to be shared. But do guard it Do protect it. Do preserve it and make sure that what you share is clear. That there is one way to God. And it is through Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord who died on the cross for our sins. There's no one else like Him. True God. True man. Born of a virgin in Bethlehem. 
the one who suffered and died for our sins and who is risen and who is seated now at God's right hand in heaven. This is what Paul is instructing the Colossians to do. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Don't let anyone deceive you, take you away from the faith that you have heard and been taught. Guard it well by the power of the Holy Spirit and tell the world the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and share that hope that is found in Him. And that leads to the last word that Paul includes in this passage about how we should live in Christ. And that is that we are to be thankful. We are to be a grateful people, overflowing with thankfulness. And the metaphor here is of a river overflowing its banks. That's how we're to live as Christians, with joy in our heart, with peace, with gratitude for all that God has done for us. When you realize the course that you were on or where you would have ended up had Christ not come into your life and you think of how far away you would have been from God or how the circumstances of your life would have been so very, very different and you now experience the fruit of Christ in your life, you've seen Him change your relationships, you've seen children come to know Christ, you've seen friends come to know Christ, you're part of a church that is healthy and growing and you rejoice in that and there are times when you just stop in your life and you say God I didn't deserve this I didn't deserve any of this and God in his grace reached into your life and brought you into a relationship with him and if you are here today and you don't know Christ in that way and you hear this and you're going man I'd like to know Jesus like that You know, all he asks us to do is to come to him and be honest and to admit our sin, to confess it to him and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And would you receive me into your family? And I invite you to come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord, and he will do that. He will take you at your word, and he will come into your heart and change your life. There's a spirit of joy a spirit of gratefulness that is to mark every believer that we just can't help ourselves. It just comes out because we love God and we are so appreciative of what He has done in our life that it's just a part of our conversation and the way that we look at life. This past week, uh, Pastor Jason and I went up to North Branch. Uh, We had gotten an invitation to see the anonymous Santa program that Uh, they're doing in our county and it's housed in the Methodist Church in North Branch there. And so we went up along with some other pastors and we heard the woman speak who had started this ministry a number of years ago. And she shared how this program has grown through the years and last year they served over 500 families in our county that were in need. Over $72,000 was donated for gifts that were given and I was really quite impressed with how they had organized it and the manpower involved and how as a part of the gifts they give to every family they have a table there where there are Bibles or Christian books or DVDs uh, other videos things like that that they can pick up and every family gets one of those as well as there's a message involved 
kids get caps and mittens, they get socks, they get toys, they have a choice of things that they can select and the parents can come in and there is this Christmas with dignity that parents can come in and they're given so many credits and they can buy gifts for their kids at that ministry. And when she was sharing about this, the woman who started the program, every time she got into it a little bit, she couldn't help. There were tears that would come. Tears that would come. She too once was in that situation. She knows what it's like to be in need and have nothing and to want to provide for your kids and not be able to do that. And that's the reason she started this ministry. It motivates her, and she just is blessed so much to be able to help others who are in need. And to do that in a way that honors them or respects what's going on in their life and to share that with others. Uh, We learned about it. We want to participate in that more in the future. Uh, It was this past week that they did the, uh, the gifts were given away and all of the donations and things like that, but it was a wonderful ministry. And I think of her example when I think of someone whose heart overflows with thanks because of what God has done in her life. That's the way that we are to live. Seven times in this short letter, Paul talks about being thankful as Christians. That we are to give thanks continually, that we are to praise him, that we are to just share that with others and give back as a result of what he's done in our life. And when we understand how much we have been forgiven and how much we have been given in Christ, our heart overflows with thanks. We just can't help it. So how do we live for Christ in a world that is a pretty dark place? A world that doesn't really want to believe in Jesus. A world that wants to just kind of go on in its own direction. The scripture calls us as believers to stay faithful, to guard our heart, to guard the message that we share, and to share that hope so that others might come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. The scripture calls us to keep growing, to be firmly rooted and grounded in the scriptures, to be built up in our faith and putting him first in our life and following him in the choices that we make. We are to be continually strengthened. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to flow through us. And we come to Christ and we seek His will and His wisdom and the choices that we make. And we are to be thankful, overflowing with gratitude and thanks. So how should we respond to a message like this this morning? Well, there are many different directions that you can take this. And God, I hope, has spoken to your hearts this morning. It might be simply that your response to a message like this is one of worship. You just want to worship and give thanks to God and be very intentional about that in your life this week or in taking some extra time to be with Him or on Christmas. Maybe it's a resolve to go deeper. You know, you've heard what we've been sharing here from the front and you said, you know what? I need to get into a small group. I want to go deeper in my understanding of the Word, or I want to get involved in an ABF if you're not already, or one of those courses that are being offered in January, and I want to grow in my relationship with Him. Or maybe your heart's been touched and you want to give back. 
and you want to bless someone else because of what God's done in your life. And you've heard these stories and you said, you know what? I know a family that could use some help this Christmas. Or I know of an individual or someone that I could drop a word of encouragement to or I could pray for or I could send a gift or I could help them through a difficult time. I will trust God to make the application in your life. But I'd encourage you to take one of those things and make it a point to do that this week. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, how could we ever thank you enough for all that you have done for us in Christ? Father, we are so very, very grateful for Jesus, our Savior, for the hope that he brings to our world and for the change that he's made in our life. If you're here today and you don't know Christ in that way and you'd like to, would you just quietly, in your heart, ask him to forgive your sins? to come into your life, to be your Savior and Lord and make it a choice today to follow Him and to take those next steps to grow in your relationship with Christ and we'd love to help you do that. Father, for all of us, we want to place you first in our life and we want to honor you this Christmas in our heart, in our attitude, our words, in the things that we do. And may this be a joyful and holy Christmas for everyone who's here. We ask it in your name. Amen.